Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in 1994, 800,000 people were slaughtered in the African country of Rwanda. In his book, Shake Hands with the Devil, retired Canadian General Romeo Dallaire explains how this genocide took place. An extremist radio station in the capital city of Kigali played a key role. RTLM was controlled by the Hutus and they used it as an instrument to stir up hate against the Tutsis. One of the ways they did this by, was by calling them Inyenzi, or cockroaches. And then in due time, the call was issued over RTLM to begin exterminating the cockroaches. The seeds for genocide were sown in this name calling. After all, if your opponents are cockroaches, then you've taken away their humanity and you can do with them as you please. You can see it over and over again in history. The first steps to Holocaust and genocide are always the dehumanising of the other. Strip them of their dignity, then you can rob, rape, torture and murder them, all with a clear conscience. Now, a similar thing is happening with the Lord Jesus in our text. It started with those closest to him. His own family were saying that he'd gone crazy. The teachers of the law took things a step further. They said he was possessed by Beelzebub. The teachers of the law had claimed that Satan was living in Jesus. The Lord Jesus looked to the power of the prince of demons to cast out demons, so they claimed. In the following verses, Lord Jesus gives several reasons why this is completely ludicrous. His first point is that Satan would never work against himself in this way. Then the Lord Jesus gives a clear picture of what's going on. Jesus Christ has Satan all tied up. The healing work of the Lord Jesus is a positive proof that God's kingdom is breaking through. The Lord is stripping Jesus, sorry, the Lord Jesus is stripping Satan of his power and bringing freedom to the captives. All this sets the stage for what we hear Christ saying in our text about blaspheming the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been mentioned before in the book of Mark. At the beginning of the Gospel, the Holy Spirit descends on the Lord Jesus like a dove. We therefore know that the Holy Spirit has intimate connection with Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, the one who proceeds from the Father and the Son. The same Holy Spirit led the Saviour into the desert to be tempted by Satan. Shortly afterwards, we see the power of the Lord Jesus over the evil spirits. With all this, Mark wants us to be clear about who Jesus Christ is for us. That's the bottom line of our text. So today, we'll listen to God's word with this theme. As part of his self-revelation, Christ solemnly warns against blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Three points to consider. The identity of this sin, the character of this sin, and the prevention of this sin. Let's have that again. As part of his self-revelation, Christ solemnly warns us against blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The identity, the character, and the prevention of this sin. 
First, the identity. We all know that blasphemy is bad. Blasphemy is usually understood as taking God's talking of God's name in a disrespectful way using abusive language to or about God. In our text, the Lord Jesus speaks about blasphemy. The first place is in verse 28. This is where we find good news in our text. Unfortunately, it's often overlooked. Christ says, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. Christ Jesus could not have been more comprehensive than this. Every sin you do, every blasphemy you've spoken, can and will be forgiven. Of course, we know that this forgiveness comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now ponder the depth of God's grace in this verse for a moment. No matter what you've done, there is God's grace for you in Christ. You may have committed sins that are so shameful that they are only known by God. He promises you grace. The Lord Jesus stood among the covenant people as the fulfilment of all God's promises. He stood there and spoke these words as the ultimate manifestation of God's grace. He proclaims to his people, and also to you, there is forgiveness for every sin and blasphemy through me. Every sin and blasphemy. Except one. The comprehensiveness of verse 28 draws our attention to the one exception of verse 29. There is a sin that can never be forgiven. That sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, let's reflect for a moment what that sin is. The clue to the identity of this sin can be found in verse 30. There, Mark tells us that he said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. The Lord Jesus gives the warning in our text because the teachers of the law had claimed that he was possessed by Beelzebub. In fact, what was happening was that the Pharisees identified Jesus with the kingdom of Satan. In so doing, they'd not merely dehumanised him, but they'd stripped him of his royal dignity and divinity. They would not allow for the Holy Spirit of God to live in this man. In their minds, this Jesus of Nazareth was not worthy of being treated as a human being, much less as the Son of God himself in whom lives the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in our text was a deliberate and intentional mischaracterization of the Lord Jesus and his work. The teacher, teachers of the law could see that Satan was being deposed. They knew their Old Testament and in their hearts they knew Christ's true identity. Remember what Nicodemus said to Jesus in John chapter 3. The Pharisees knew that Jesus had been sent by God. They deliberately and willfully distorted the truth about who Jesus is. They purposely characterised his work and the work of the Spirit as being the work of the evil one. They were filled with hatred for God's grace being shown to those that were demon-possessed. 
to the sick and to the sinful. They could not handle God's compassion being manifested in Christ. So they turned against him with a wild passion. This was no accident or mistake. No, the teachers of the law knew very well what they were doing. You can imagine Satan's glee at a turn of events. The Son of God is being caricatured as a partner with demons. The Spirit of God is being portrayed as a demon. Without knowing the final outcome of the story, one might be led to wonder what would become of God's promise to crush the head of the serpent. It looked like things were going in the opposite direction. But this is the irony. God would use even this blasphemy against the Spirit to deliver the final crushing blow. The people would believe the dehumanized and degrading comments about the Lord Jesus and would deliver him up to death. But this would ultimately serve for the salvation of God's elect. Then the true Israel of God would know their Savior. They would know, as we do, that Christ came to bring forgiveness for sins and blasphemies of men. All Israel would know his grace. So the identity of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a deliberate identifying of the person and working of Christ with the evil one. So now let's consider the seriousness of this sin. We all know that people are inclined to exaggerate. Sometimes we use words like never rather flippantly. Our kids would never do something like that. And lo and behold, our children can and do something like that. Never is a pretty strong word and sometimes we forget that. However, in our text, the Lord Jesus uses the word and he means it. He says that whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. And just in case we miss the point, he adds he is guilty of eternal sin. Or as other Bible translations put it, he is subject to eternal condemnation. Never and eternal are both very strong words. And it would be a good idea to think about why this sin is unforgivable. We could approach this question from the angle of election and reprobation. In God's sovereignty, he's chosen some people to eternal life. We call that election. Likewise, we believe that God has passed over others. We call that reprobation. Though the exact names and numbers are known only to God, there are two kinds and only two kinds of people in this world. There are the elect and there are the reprobate. The elect were chosen by God before the creation of the world. They were predestined to come to faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. They will be preserved in their faith until the day of their final glorification. The elect of God may at one point or another in their lives actually be opposed to God and his work. You need only read the biographies of our forefathers in the faith to see this. Think of someone like Abraham Koper, who mocked the literal historical resurrection of Christ 
before he came to his conversion. You can also see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 13, Paul states that he was formerly a blasphemer. But he was shown mercy. God brought him to faith and he repented of his opposition to the gospel. Not so with the reprobates. The reprobates are passed over by God. They'll never believe the gospel message. At certain points, they may seem to soften in their opposition. They may seem to open to the gospel. But in the end, they remain outside of Christ. We can be sure that all who blaspheme the Holy Spirit in the manner spoken of by the Lord Jesus in our text are reprobate. But the reverse does not necessarily hold true. Not all those who are reprobate will blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Here we can think of countless millions who've died without even hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. They were reprobate, but they did not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. They could not because they were not able to form an opinion about Christ and his work. What we can say for certain is that blasphemers against the Holy Spirit are reprobate. Our text tells us as much. But why? Now we have to be careful here because it's coming close to the secret things of God. Nevertheless, consider blasphemy against the Holy Spirit like stubbornly believing something. Sorry, let's read that again. Nevertheless, consider that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is like stubbornly believing something against all evidence to the contrary. No matter what anybody says, you're going to keep your head high. You're going to hold your position to the bitter end. In your pride, you become completely blind to the truth. In the case of blasphemy against the Spirit, you believe that Jesus Christ is the devil, or at least on the side of the devil. You believe that his works are evil. You believe that his spirit is a demon. It's like you have a life-threatening illness that requires surgery and you decide that the only doctor that can give you the life-saving operation is really a sadistic murderer. And you know because you've studied the characteristics of sadistic murderers and you know one when you see one. You're the expert. Once you pridefully commit yourself to that belief and never give it up, you're locked into a position from which there is no exit. You see, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin because it utterly, heinously and evil that it can only come from a heart that has been entirely given over to God by God to unbelief, a reprobate heart. This sin can only come from those who have in their pride totally and utterly set themselves against Christ. Such people are consumed with the hatred for Christ and his works. That's why the sin cannot be forgiven. Such people will never be led to repentance and faith. God has given them over to their unbelief. Now, why do you think the Lord Jesus Christ has given us these strong words? 
Is it so that we can look around and try to point the finger or figure out who around us might have committed this sin? Or did the Lord give these words to scare us? No. Christ Jesus wants us to focus on him in the right way. Christ wants us to love him and to think rightly about his person and works. This is where we're going with our last point, the prevention of this sin. Now it's a well-known fact that many Christians have found this passage rather troubling. To take just one famous example, Puritan author John Bunyan, sorry, Puritan, yep, Puritan author John Bunyan struggled deeply with the question of whether or not he had blasphemed the Holy Spirit and so committed the unforgivable sin. A long period of time passed before he finally had the peace of knowing that he was safe in Christ. A good number of us have been raised in Christian homes and have never likely consciously been opposed to Christ or his work. So this may not be much concern to us. Nevertheless, as we reach out into the community with the gospel, we may encounter situations where someone comes to faith in Christ after a life of kicking against the goads. What will you tell a new believer who worries that they've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit and are therefore counted among the reprobate? Or maybe you'll encounter a brother or sister who grew up in the church and has doubts. And regardless, all of us should be interested in keeping this sin as far away from us as we can. We don't even want to come close to this sin. As we've been looking at our text, you can see that Christ's concern here is his self-revelation. The text is about Christ, and it is what he does for his people. The teachers of his law say one thing about Christ, while they know that the truth is the opposite. The passage is telling God's people to pay attention to who Christ says he is and to what he does. Christ is telling the covenant people that the way to prevent blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to listen, to watch, and to believe. Today, the same Christ still speaks to his covenant people. He tells us to read our Bibles and to observe. Hear what Christ says about himself. Look at the miracles and healings he performed. Marvel at his perfect obedience, that obedience which now belongs to you. Believe in this Lord Jesus. Faith is the sure antidote to blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The one who has true faith in Jesus Christ, the one who loves Christ, will never ever blaspheme the Spirit. Think about it. Faith in Christ comes from the Holy Spirit who, believe, who lives in the believer. And to turn around the image of the Lord Jesus, why would the Holy Spirit ever turn on himself? A child of God would never be able to commit a sin that cannot be forgiven. John Bunyan eventually recognised it, and you may have heard it said before as well. If someone is worried that they've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit and committed the unforgivable sin, the actual fact that they are worried shows that they've not done this sin. 
a person who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never worry about it. They'll never be concerned about it. They simply don't, con they simply don't care about it, about offending Christ and his Holy Spirit. And if you do care, it shows that you esteem Christ and the works that he did. You can hardly imagine anything more heinous and evil than degrading Jesus Christ and his works. Imagine what the teachers of the law were doing. They were stripping Christ of everything. They were leaving him lower than an animal, preparing him for the suffering and death to come. We shudder at the thought. But then let's also shudder at the thought of even approaching this sin by degrading Christ's ongoing work today through the Holy Spirit. Shudder at the thought of degrading or minimizing Christ's work in your fellow brothers and sisters. People sometimes do that. Somebody says something good and positive about a brother or sister, and then another pipes up and says, if only you knew the real story about so-and-so, let me tell you. And away they go. Slanderously pointing out negative things in the lives of your brothers and sisters is moving in the direction of the sin described in our text. Instead, let us look for Christ's work in those around us. Give God glory when you open your eyes and see what Christ is doing in your church through his Holy Spirit. We also ought to shudder at the thought of degrading or minimizing the work Christ is still doing through mission of the church. Make a determined effort to see what Christ is accomplishing in your own area or overseas. Give glory to God for it and praise Christ and his Holy Spirit. Christ is still at work gathering, defending and preserving believers everywhere by the power of his word and spirit. If we stand against, if we stand on guard against blaspheming the Holy Spirit, let's be open to seeing that work for what it really is. Beloved congregation of Christ, our text calls us to see Christ rightly. Our text calls us to see Christ's work rightly. As we do this, there is an enormous comfort given to us. It's the comfort of knowing that the never of verse 29 does not apply to us. It's the comfort of knowing that the all of verse 28 does apply. It's the comfort of knowing that Christ suffered this humiliation and degradation at the hands of the teachers of the law so that we can belong to him and fully experience his grace. May his word and spirit continue in us all. Amen.